Good morning, church. If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 16, if you would. Um, for those of you I haven't met yet, I'm Al Earhart. The elders have asked me to be a part of the teaching team, and I'm excited to be here on Easter Sunday and get to bring this message. I read a while back that the Denver Post did an Easter survey, and they found that 55% of Americans associate Easter with Jesus. 55%. The sad part is that 45% associate Easter with something else, like family gatherings and springtime and, yes, the Easter bunny, eggs, and jelly beans. But Easter is our holiday. It's the Christian holiday. It's the time of the year when we focus on this crucial part of our theological framework that Jesus died for us on Good Friday and He rose again from the dead on Easter Sunday. Now, this Easter is unique because I'm talking to you at a distance and I can't be here with you and you can't be here with me and it's hard. Uh, COVID-19 has uh, created a lot of difficulty health-wise and economically in our culture. So as I begin today, I'd like to stop and just, just pray for our church family, but for our nation and the world um, that's going through this stressful time. So join me in prayer if you would. Father, this is a hard time. Um, this uh, terrible coronavirus is, is going on and, and people are getting sick and people are even dying. People are grieving the loss of loved ones today. Others are being impacted because they've lost their job and their income has been cut and there's hardship because of that. And so, Lord, I just lift them up to you. And I pray that today that the hope of the risen Christ would bring life and peace and hope in the midst of this season. And may we be the agents that carry that to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text this morning, Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they are on their way to the tomb and they ask each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. May he bless the reading of it today. This morning, I can't overemphasize to you how great the resurrection of Jesus Christ is. It's the greatest miracle ever. It was, the, it was the apex of the ministry of Jesus Christ. It is a foundational, crucial part of our theological framework. It gives us a clear focus for us to interpret our life and meaning and purpose. Yes, you say, but is this really true? Some of you 
or perhaps someone that you don't know may be doubting the veracity of the resurrection today. And there's a good reason that people do that. Sometimes it's for intellectual reasons or philosophical reasons, but sometimes it's pretty pragmatic. I like what Dr. Wolfhart Pannenberg, a German theologian, wrote about the resurrection of Jesus. And I quote, The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it is a very unusual event. And second, if you believe that it happened, you have to change the way you live. Isn't that true? If you believe it happened, you have to change the way you lived. End quote. So this morning, thinking with that in mind, I want to talk about two issues. First, why the resurrection is believable, and and in in a de facto sense, why Christianity must be true. And second, what are the practical implications of that? First, why is this believable? I could give you a long reason, and people have written books about this, and there's a great book, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. I recommend it to you. But I want to share with you five reasons that resonate with me why I believe in the resurrection and interwoven the the whole trustworthiness of this whole concept of Christianity. I believe it's true what we read this week with Darren in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ is not risen, we're without hope. I think without the resurrection, well, it's like when we were kids. Did you, did you ever play with dominoes? I, when I was a little kid, I didn't know how to play with dominoes, but I found them, and I would line them up. Do you remember doing that? You'd line one up, and then you'd tip one over, and they would all fall. And I want to tell you that Christianity is a line of dominoes, and if the resurrection falls, everything else falls. That's why this is so important. Let me give you five reasons to trust in the resurrection. The first is the historical New Testament account, the eyewitness accounts of the multiple appearances of Jesus. I don't have time to go into why we have a trustworthy Bible, but think with me, Mary Magdalene, the women returning from the tomb, the apostles without Thomas, the apostles with Thomas, a group of the disciples at the ascension, and to the multitude of over 500 that we read about in 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, in verse 6, it says about them, most of whom are still living. Now, that's significant. What the Apostle Paul is saying, these eyewitnesses, these people who saw Christ, the risen Christ, they're still alive. You don't believe me? Go, look, go ask some of them. They're still around. A few of them have died, but most of them are still around. Check it out. The second reason that I believe in the resurrection is that the disciples died for it. One disciple might have gone crazy and died for the resurrection, but for all of them to die for a myth, to die for a made-up story, I can't get my mind around that. So the eyewitnesses, the disciples dying. The third is that Christianity and the resurrection has survived the attacks of skeptics and remained the teaching of the Christian church for 2,000 years. 2,000 years. A great read on this is the book by John Ortberg, uh, Who Is This Man? Someone said that, wrote 20 years ago, that the world had Steve Jobs and Bob Hope and Johnny Cash. 
and now we have no jobs, no hope, and no cash. That's dark humor today. But seriously, realistically, the fact is that famous people diminish in stature quickly in the consciousness of people. Think about contemporaries or people that lived a long time ago like Jesus, Alexander the Great, and Caesar Augustus. Uh, Their reputations were immense. The whole entire known world knew about them. Uh, But their influence today, their impact today, their names today are rarely mentioned, and they're surely not used as as a grid or a template for how we should live. Contrast them with Jesus. The day he died to the community at large, he was just another rebel being put to death. Just a handful of weak disciples who who scattered like rabbits when he was arrested. They were the only ones on board with him. Jesus is just the opposite. The knowledge of him, the impact of him has just grown exponentially over these 2,000 years. Explain that. How does that happen? The fourth reason, I believe, in the resurrection and the veracity of Christianity, the first, the eyewitnesses, the second, the disciples died for it, the third is the teaching of the church has maintained itself and grown through this, the fourth reason is the benefits that Christianity has brought wherever it has been embraced. What other religion has helped as many people? I I can't do justice to that, but think with me for a minute. Children. Um, In the time of Jesus, children could be rejected and left if they were unwanted. They were just left to die in the Roman culture. Women were considered to be property and second-class citizens, but Jesus gave them status and worth, and they were even the first messengers. We could call them the first missionaries of the risen Savior. Education. Wherever Christians have gone, they have encouraged education. You think about the early settlers in America that established the universities here like Harvard and Yale, which by the way were Christian-based schools initially. But education was important, which I think there's a sidebar implication for us there that our faith can stand the scrutiny of educated people. It is not blind faith for us to believe in Jesus and to trust him. Some of the other benefits, when people defeated their enemies before Christ, oftentimes they, they obliterated with them Every, everything about them. They tried to do away with that. And we see today that when we conquer another country, you think back to World War II, Japan and Germany, we restored them back to health again. We didn't obliterate them. And my goodness, who has built all the orphanages and the hospitals and the soup kitchens and the rescue missions? Christian people. By and large, Christian people. The fifth, the last reason is fairly subjective, but it's this. The changed lives of generations of Christians and my changed life. You think of the story of Saul, the Christian killer who became St. Paul. Do you think of John Newton, the pagan slave trader who became John Newton, the child of God? Your story, my story. So hear me today, countless stories that we could recount of how God turned around a broken life 
and made it alive again. Now, if you don't believe in the resurrection today, may I suggest that you need to come up with a feasible alternative for the birth of the church that has done all of these things, has become all of these things that I just talked about. And just as I talk about we don't have a blind faith, don't have a blind doubt. Just because it's unique or just because it seems unscientific, don't reject it. In fact, given the facts that I just listed, it seems to me that it takes more faith to not believe that the resurrection happened than to believe in it. And in fact, in Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, that's where he lands. So five good reasons, I think, for me to believe in the resurrection and to believe in Christianity. Now, let me share with you three practical implications that we can know. And I get excited about this because this is, this is kind of where we bring it down and this is where the rubber meets the road. Number one, we can know that we are forgiven because of the resurrection of Jesus. I've been camping in Colossians this year, just uh, reading it over and over in my quiet time. But let, me, let me read a, a part of chapter 2 to you. Chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, if you want to turn to that. Colossians Colossians 2, 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities that he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Notice the phrases there. We're made alive. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the written code that was against us and he nailed it to the cross. Jesus took all of our cross, our sins and bore them upon his body when he died upon the cross. And it is the total provision for our sins, for all of us who believe. All of us who believe. Now notice that's very important. It tells us in the book of Hebrews Chapter 4, verse 2. It says this in Hebrews 4, 2. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now, that's very important. Understand that our potential salvation was provided for us when Jesus died on the cross, but it has to be combined with faith. Now, please understand me today. What I'm saying here today is this. Even if you've grown up in the church, even if you have a Christian family heritage, that's not, a, not enough. Uh, respectable, religious, moral people like Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, what did Jesus say to him? You must be born again. So hear me today, this Easter season. Um, Jesus died and rose again, triumphed over death and sin and the devil and, to give us the victory over sin and provide our salvation. But for that to be activated in our lives, you individually have to cross the line of surrender. And if you've never turned from running your own life, to yield your life to Christ, 
to admit that you've sinned against him and to repent as best you know how and to surrender your life to live under the umbrella of the lordship of Jesus Christ. The salvation is just words on a page. It only becomes real for you when you make that decision. Now, salvation is free. It's a free gift of God, but it's not cheap. It costs you, you. So maybe the resurrection message today for you is to give your life to Christ. And if you never cross that line, if you've never made that surrender, this is where it all begins. This is where it all starts. So the first practical implication is that our sins can be forgiven. The second is that our future is secure. In John 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. He has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us. And Christianity is is unique in the sense that we're a a grace-based religion, not a merit-based religion. Christianity believes that we don't have to work to earn it, but it is the free gift of God. Other religions believe you earn your way, you pay your way, you do the right things to earn God's approval. We're grace-based. We're also unique in the fact that we have a different destiny than a lot of other systems. All the Eastern karmic religions see life as this repeating cycle of being reincarnated, working out this wheel of life. The best that Buddhists can hope for is to become a part of the all-soul, this kind of universal all-soul where you lose your individuality. Christianity values the individual. And so when it talks about heaven, it talks in terms of that all individual Christians, all of Everyone who's given their life to Christ is moving toward this glorious end. And wonders of wonders will be carried out of this broken, sinful world into a place of eternal bliss where there's no sin and no suffering and endless peace and love as distinct persons. Our future is secure. Sins are forgiven. Future is secure. And the third thing is we can know that we have power to live in this present world. It's great to look back and remember your salvation, your forgiveness, and the peace that Christ brings to us, and to look forward to our future home. But what about now? I believe that we have eternal life that begins now. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, it says this. Let me read verses 9 through 11. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And, verse 11, and if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. If you are in Christ... You have the Holy Spirit, very God Himself, living in you. And He gives us power. He does all kinds of things. And I don't have time to unwrap all that the Holy Spirit does within us. But I want to talk about the greatness of this power. And this power, this greatness of the power is described in terms, it's defined in terms as the power 
that brought Jesus from the dead. So, in a sense, that's how great the power is. It is the power that is great enough to bring someone back from the dead. It's the same power that is working within us as we face the challenges of our very individual lives. Jesus told his disciples before he went to cross, he said, listen, COVID-19's coming. Well, he didn't exactly say that. But he did say this in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. In this world you will have trouble. COVID-19, economic shortfall, etc. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And in the same discourse, the upper room discourse, the last night before he went to the cross, he talked about the promise coming of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God wants us to live in that power today. We, we are saved by this wonderful, eternal grace gift of God, and we're given a new grace gift of life from this external Holy Spirit that comes to live within us that gives us then an internal power that we live out that should flow out of us. He wants to so fill us up that what comes out of us is the fruit of the Spirit. The overflow of the Spirit of God. Let's get real practical here. I don't know what you're up against today. It may be the coronavirus. It may be losing a job or, or not getting the hours that you need. Or it may be something else. You may be in a loveless marriage. You may be a senior adult today who is afraid that you're going to run out of money before you run out of life. You may be the father who, who looks confident but feels totally inadequate as a businessman. Or the young woman that's Today, you're, you're, you're fearful because the lump may be cancer. Maybe it's the mom or the dad who looks good at church, but you feel like a failure when it comes to being a parent. Or maybe it's an addiction that's hijacked your life. Maybe you're disenfranchised from your family and you don't even know how to start the journey back. Or it could be anger or fear or latent anxiety and depression that goes with the time in which we live, I don't know what you're up against. But think with me. Visualize for me, with me for just a minute. Whatever it is that you're up against today, get your arms around it. And imagine with me that you're going to build a box and you're going to put that in a box to hold all of your anxiety and all of your addictions and all of your fears and all of your relational issues that, are, that are, have gone awry and put them in that box. And I want to tell you, listen to me. The power of God, the work of the Holy Spirit of God, the grace of God is a box that's bigger than the one that you have for all of your very real stuff. I ran across a quote a while back from Donald Grayhouse, excuse me, Donald Gray Barnhouse, uh, a minister of yesteryear. He said it this way You do not have a problem too great for the power of Christ. 
you do not have a problem too complicated for the wisdom of Christ. You do not have a problem too small for the love of Christ. You do not have a sin too deep for the atoning blood of Christ. If there is fear in your heart, it is immediately known to Him. If there is sorrow in your heart, it is immediately a sorrow to His heart. If there is a grief in your heart, it is immediately a grief to His heart. End of quote. I believe that. I believe me. I believe that. Listen today. Listen to me today. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, the power, the grace of God is greater and is more than enough for you. We have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So our response today, how do we respond to that? Well, maybe you need um, the gift of salvation. Or second, maybe you're a believer today, but you're, you're struggling with fill in the blank. Maybe it's something entirely different than the little grocery list I made up. Whatever it is, will you come to Him today? Pray with me, would you? Lord, I pray for all those who are separated from You today, and I pray that by Your Holy Spirit today that You would draw them to admit their sins, to turn away from their sins, and to surrender their lives to You as best they know how. And Father, I pray for those today who are believers and they're struggling they're struggling with anxiety or depression or an addiction, relational problems, that they would cast their cares upon you, that they would so give themselves to you and to the power of your spirit that you would flow through them and you would bring answers and you would change their thinking. You would bring people into their life that bring truth that will help them. So, Lord, today, I just pray that you might be working, our, working in our lives in this resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've made a decision for Christ, I'd like to know about it, or Darren or one of the elders, please let us know. We'd like to pray with you and for you. And if you're struggling with something and you can't seem to get past that, you need to reach out to one of us or a brother or sister in Christ will stand with you and, and pray with you. Uh, it's important during this time of separation that we're not separated and we have all kinds of ways of staying connected. So for a close, I want to just add a little bonus material, if I could. Um, during this time, it's very important that we keep our outward focus. We're living in a in a world that's fearful and, and, and people are scared and the future is it's paralyzing. And I just believe this. I believe that the good news of Christ, the life of Christ in us is a, is a very bright diamond against this very black backdrop that we have right now in our culture. And to borrow the language of a friend of mine, we need to be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. So let me just challenge you and your circle of influence to your family and your friends and your neighbors. Ask the question, how, how can you reach out to them? How can you be a non-anxious presence in the midst of this time? How can you bright, be bright and hopeful 
And, and we need to take advantage of the things that we have today. Technology can be a wonderful thing. We can, we can text and we can phone and we can message and we can FaceTime and we can Zoom and Microsoft Team and uh, other things I don't even know about. And we can share verses of comfort and we can pray with people and we can smile and we can focus on what's right and good. But will you make it every day, will you make it a goal every day to add value to someone's life every day? Now the worship team is going to come and, and lead us in celebrating the great power that God has given to us.